yeah, you know, Ross will be back as GM. Um, and in Ross's case, the body of work, um, to me, is in, in undeniable. You know, there's over eight seasons, whether it's the last four having the sixth best record in the American League, whether it's three of the last four years in the postseason. We need to get better. Ross needs to get better, but he's done a good job. Happy Friday, everybody. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Good morning to you, and good morning to Ross Atkins, who's going to have a great weekend because he still has a job. Good morning, everyone. Man, uh, that was a conference yesterday that we got from Mark Spira, a news conference, I guess, if I want to complete the sentence there. Uh, we continue to pick at the carcass of uh, this Jays offseason, and yeah, it truly is the story that just won't die. No. I'm fired up to talk about it. How are you doing, Benny? I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, I'd be more fired up to talk about Blue Jays postseason baseball. That that'd be more fun, God. no doubt. Imagine a Jay hitting a homer, just one. Forget, <laughs> like honestly, forget the yeah. what thirteen the Phillies are up to now. Holy but, cow! Yeah. And we'll get to that game and, and that series that was incredible, uh, and the Phillies advancing once again to a National League Championship Series against the Arizona Diamondbacks, which we all predicted. You know, that would have been fun. If that were the Blue Jays and it was scenes at Rogers Center, hey Guriel and Moreno in a in a CS, it's everything you could have dreamed. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> uh, that was that subject was broached yesterday during the the Mark Shapiro news conference. You're right. Like I, I yeah, I, that guy you traded away. Why'd you do it? Yeah, I, I struggle because I want to call it a press conference, and I know like press, we we can't call it a press conference, media conference, I, news conference. It's I a use, press conference. Okay? Use, People know what press conference is. Okay, I understand. Like not everybody's like taking their story to the printing press and then, you know, the, the, the long stories coming out on newsprint. Can't we just call it a press conference? I fluctuate all the time between absolutely loving the semantic debates between if it's a press conference, a newser, a media conference. Newser, yeah. Yeah, newser is, I think, actually my favorite because mm -hmm. then we get to pretend it matters as much as things in the world, which, let's be honest, it's sports. So, no, yeah, yeah I, uh, I love the semantic debates, though. Me too. Uh, again, I, I prefer to talk about the sports mm -hmm. when the sports are happening at, at the highest level. That would have been my preference if the Blue Jays were playing for a World Series championship. That would be my preference, mm -hmm. but that's not not the deal. Nope. They scored one run in a two-game exit in the wild card round against the Minnesota Twins. And, oh, if if uh, you need a refresher, the, the second game was uh, highlighted by Jose Barrios being lifted in the fourth inning despite looking at close to his best ever. And then the manager looked not too pleased that he was forced into a decision that maybe he didn't wholeheartedly agree with. Days later, the general manager said, that was all on the manager. I don't know why you guys are looking at me. And then days after that, the president spoke and, and took a little bit more accountability than the general manager. Certainly been a lot of time and energy spent reflecting, talking, considering. Uh, but where I keep ending up and what I keep thinking about um, is how much we let down the fans. And I understand the frustration. Um, the bitterness is palpable for me uh, and for the other leaders of the organization. Um, they are among the best fans in all of Major League Baseball. Three million of them came to see us here. Millions more watched us uh, night in and night out, uh, and it's not acceptable, you know, for us to have fallen short of expectations. Not acceptable. Uh, it was a failure. 
It mm-hmm. was, I mean, later on he talked about the buck stopping with him. He's the president of the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah. It's, it's say what you will, and you don't have to like Mark Shapiro either. You don't mm-hmm. have to like this front office as a whole, but I, I think what's undeniable. It's good news for a lot of people. <laughs> I think it's, it's undeniable that Mark Shapiro packages the information a little bit better than Ross Atkins. And not to say that Ross Ross Atkins isn't a smart dude. I would just say from a presentation standpoint, which again, maybe is is not the most important thing when it comes to being an executive. From a presentation standpoint, Mark Shapiro has it down a little bit more than Ross. I mean, that is literally just stepping over a, a piece of string on the floor to clear that bar. <laughs> it was better I think the problem is, is it's ultimately what you want. You know, you heard some understanding of the, but I think there's still a lot of people who are sitting there going either, I still don't understand what happened, or I don't believe the version of what happened that you're spinning. And then this is a part that I think is, you tell me if this is unfair or not. I think there are a lot of people and myself included who hear over and over again, and we hear it in sports, we hear it in all walks of life of, I am accountable. The buck stops with me. And that is why I will continue to have this job and there will be no consequences for anyone involved. I'm not saying Mm. that Atkins absolutely had to go. If you're asking me if I'd fire the GM, yes, I would fire the GM. But I can understand that. But I think a lot of people just hear the word accountability and then there is no price to be paid, at least from the outside looking in. And they say, was it message better? Yes, anything was better than Saturday. But I still think a lot of people did not like what they heard yesterday because, and I understand you want to keep some things in-house, but when you talk about accountability and transparency, and there is still a little bit wishy-washy in terms of what happened or the meetings leading into it, and they've told their truth, their version of it, but I just don't know that most people are buying that. Yeah, okay, so what do you want to be upset about? Do you want to be upset about the... It's a lot to pick at. Yeah, okay, are, are we talking about this team underperforming offensively, only winning 89 games, just slipping into the That's playoffs? That's one conversation and, and, for and, sure. And losing both games and only scoring one run against the Minnesota Twins. Mm-hmm. Or do you want to be upset about the in-game management stuff, the way it was messaged, the decision-making itself, how the information flowed, how the players on this Blue Jays team seemingly had no idea what was going mm-hmm. on? Because I think those are two separate things. Totally. Both I, both very consequential, but very separate, in my opinion. I, I think the the one that is most impactful is the yeah, the like eighty nine wins and, mm-hmm. and this this front office expecting this team to score a lot more runs than they did and, and Mark Shapiro talking about, hey, we got a bunch of hits, we didn't score enough runs and and, and that's an issue. Uh and I, I will say Okay, Ross Atkins, I, I I watched what you watched on Saturday. Mm-hmm. That wasn't great. There's there's no there's no leader in the world who looked at Ross Atkins taking seemingly no accountability and said that's a good move. That that generally results in in positive feelings throughout the organization. But there there has been a little bit of a a loss of perspective here when it comes to what the Blue Jays have done. He's right over the the last almost a decade with Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro, and even specifically this season, while it was a pain, man, holy cow, to get to 89 wins and into mm-hmm. the postseason, not a lot of joyous moments did for this Blue play, Jays team. Did they play 500 games this year? Why it did feels the year feel like so it. long? It does feel like it. But it must be said that, yeah, there are two sides to, to playing baseball. There's the offense, which wildly underperformed, like wildly underperformed. Blue Jays did not score enough runs. That was a big-time issue and something that needs to be addressed and part of that was decision-making 
Uh, not so much in free agency because the free agent they went out and got actually performed when Brandon Bell was yeah. healthy. He performed, and Kevin Kiermaier, who was disappointed with, with Kevin Kiermaier's performance this season. No but one. specifically with the trade of, yeah, Gabriel Moreno, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. for Dalton Varsho patrolling left field. His offense left a lot to be desired. But they suppressed runs. They were mm-hmm. one of the best teams in Major League Baseball in opponents' runs scored and ERA, which is part of the general manager's job. Like, he has two two, two jobs. Mm-hmm. Score runs, stop the other team from scoring runs. And he's also, like, throughout, I don't want to sound like an apologist here, but I do feel like the, the, the Warning pendulum. Warning you were getting there. I know the pendulum is swinging so far to one side that there does need to be a level of perspective uh, that's brought back to the table. That he's right. Like, there's a bunch of other teams that spend a lot more money than the Blue Jays that are outside of the playoffs, had way more disappointing seasons than the Blue Jays, who did factually get into the playoffs, 89 wins, didn't win a game. Get that. It's all disappointing. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm talking about levels of disappointment. Mm -hmm. But who's more disappointed? The Padres, the Mets, or the Yankees, or the Blue Jays? So, I think perception means so much with this, and it is interesting when you bring up those other teams that spend a lot of money, and maybe this is just perception on the outside looking in, and maybe it's super unfair to the guys that are here. But I think when you bring up those two teams specifically, a lot of people who are fans of the Blue Jays will say, hmm, I got no no doubt that Steve Cohen is going to make heads roll, and whether somebody actually gets fired or not, that team's going to look different because he is a billionaire, wants to come in and make all that, and we've seen San Diego has just done this a million times. The other thing I think of with this is, Yes, congrats, honestly. We have given this front office, rightfully so, plaudits for the job they have done building up this pitching staff. And hey, we maybe we probably don't talk enough about the fact that they built up the pitching staff so much to the point that they could use a Cy Young or lose a Cy Young finalist and it really didn't affect the pitching side of this team one iota. Kudos, honestly, wonderful. But when you have a trade that was such a, and I don't want to overstate it because I still think in the grand scheme of things, this era of Jays is going to go as Bo and Vladdy go. Like I do firmly believe that. But when you have your one big swing, you trade your super, your superstar prospect trip. He is already there doing damage I'm not saying you have to get fired for that trade, but that is a trade that demands accountability and not just saying I screwed up. So I understand what you're saying about pointing out that there have been strides made and keeping some continuity really is a good thing. But that's what Shapiro is here to do is keep the continuity. Yeah, it seems pretty clear that they are like if you if you if you were of the belief that Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins are attached to the hip, the, you were emboldened in that. In yes. that like yeah, that that was his handpicked uh general manager after uh Alex Anthopoulos did not take the money to mm-hmm. to remain in his role, in spite the fact that Mark Shapiro probably didn't want that. And there was yeah. some pressure put on him to Boy. even offer him uh a contract to remain in the Blue Jays organization. But this was this was this is a guy brought over from from Cleveland, but even okay. Let's specifically talk about the Dalton Varsho trade. Let's. I agree, it's a bad trade. I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> I, I I can't I can't say I wouldn't have done it in the moment because I thought Dalton Varsho could replicate what he did offensively last season in Arizona, which mm-hmm. was yeah. I, I don't even want to say significantly better than what he he did this season. Uh, in Toronto, and especially if you look at the home road splits, like if he was just the same guy who was on the road this mm-hmm. year at home, yeah, that's that's a pretty valuable player. And 27 home runs with like elite defense yeah. in center field, which it will be this year as opposed to left field. He played a bunch of center field. Like that's that's good. 
It's not just like acceptable. That's like really good. And here's the thing. Again, cover your baby ears if you don't want to hear this, if you just want to be mad. Mm -hmm. And again, I should preface what I'm about to say with wouldn't have done the trade, still think it's bad. Okay, good. Fangraphs has... Ew. Ew. Fangraphs... Yeah, say it in that voice. Fangraphs has Dalton Varsho with a higher war in the year 2023 than Gabriel Moreno. Now, Gabriel Moreno didn't play as many games, mm -hmm. and Gabriel Moreno was injured throughout the course of the season, and Gabriel Moreno seemingly in the postseason has found a power say, stroke. Hey, nerds, what's the playoff war look like? We'll see how this, again, it's the numbers. Are, there is a statistical argument to be made that, hey, I like, you hear Mark Shapiro say, I like the trade this year, and you're like, what the hell are you talking about? There's a number to, to back up what he's saying. I think the problem, I think the problem with just I like the trade is there's no good answer to that question in the moment is Guriel and Moreno are hitting playoffs and they're or hitting playoff homers and their teams going to the NLCS. There yeah. is no good answer to that question right now. And I do think there is, you're right to point out that it is entirely possible that Dalton Varsho is next year's Yusei Kikuchi, where you go, ah, this yeah. guy. And he need, the problem is, is that, when the wheels started to come off at the end for Kikuchi, it didn't matter because you didn't trade the top prospect in your org for him. Right. Dalton Varsho is going to have to be, and I'm not even talking about from a team-building perspective. There's a world from a team-building perspective where he's your eighth hitter and you just go about, that can happen. But from a fan base perspective, especially, forget Guriel, it hurts now, but forget him. He's a free agent. Exactly. It's at the conclusion of this season. Will never matter you, again. you won't have to watch him in uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, whatever, maroon. Gradient teal yeah, yeah. or whatever they're wearing. <laughs> yeah, they're right. You're right. Teal is a part of it, but also maroon. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, man. Ugly. Like, whatever yeah, it is, ugly. Underratedly horrible uniforms in Arizona. Somehow they look like they play in the XFL or yeah. the Arena Football <laughs> League, and that's a different sport. But... Because of what Moreno, and look, yeah, it's possible. Much like it was possible Varsho has the year he had. It's possible this is the greatest season Gabriel Moreno is ever going to have. And we, But from a fan base perspective, Varsho has to inject himself into being a part of this core. Not a fringe piece of it. And I think that is just such a hard thing to square. Yeah. We, we, do the Le we do the Leafs comparison all the time. I brought it up yesterday. This has a chance to make the Nazem Kadri trade look like a fair deal, given given what Moreno has a chance of doing and how long he has the chance to do it. Yeah, and that's how you build championship teams is by getting production mm -hmm. both offensively and defensively out of, out of a position that's lots of teams are happy to just get defense out of. Totally. Behind the plate. Lots of teams are just happy to have your guy block your balls in the in the dirt and, yeah. and frame Inverse some first strikes. Base, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, instead, the Arizona Diamondbacks are getting one of the most influential offensive players behind the plate. So that's that's part of it. The the other part. So I mean, again, I'm separating mm -hmm. the two parts of the discussion around the Blue Jays. Yep. One is just the on-field performance, and specifically offensively being uh, underwhelming and not what anybody that designed this team expected it to be. The other one is the thing that's less quantifiable by people who are not in that clubhouse day to day, but man. you better keep your mouth shut if you happen to wander in there. We'll talk about that later. Uh, yeah, we sure will. <laughs> but like, Shadavidi has a pretty good handle, I think, on, on on the pulse of this team and, and maybe some conversations with either players or people within the organization off the record as far as the communication of game plan 
and 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 how everybody's on the same page in that regard and some of the comments that we saw after game two specifically from Whit Merrifield who hated the decision was confused by it yeah there's obviously a reckoning that needs to take place this offseason in that regard Mark Shapiro spoke to that clearly um we hit but didn't score runs we need to do a better job scoring runs we need to be better on the base pass and there needs to be um a higher level of transparency and communication with our players and our and our planning process and preparation game planning process. Yeah, so we need to tell the players what's going on here. Uh, he was also asked, hey, do players need to have their uh, input on the game plan? He's like, eh, no, not no, really. No, 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 no. We're, we're good. <laughs> That's too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. But yeah, we need to tell them what's going on. Might be a good idea. Yeah, I think... I, I, I understand the messaging conversations that's happening, but I still think that it is just a question of getting to the bottom of what exactly happened. And the messaging is such a crucial part of that. As this has come out and as we've now heard all parties involved speaking, I think it's pretty safe to say, at least from my read on it, tell me if you think I'm wrong, is that no one told John Schneider to take Yusei Kikuchi or to take Jose Barrios out, regardless of whether he was dealing and put Yusei in at that exact spot in the game. But to me, it is pretty clear based on organizational philosophies that John Schneider thought that is the move that would most be respected, appreciated, Mm -hmm. lauded, whatever word you want to use Mm -hmm. by his bosses. And if it blew up in his face, they were going to have his back. And (laughs) it didn't feel like that on Saturday, but boy, does that feel like what it is now. That That's just my read on it, that it's pretty clear no one told him what to do, but he just feels that he... Because, again, maybe I have a completely wrong read on John Schneider, but 20-year baseball man who looked the way he did watching that, who looked the way he did going out to get the ball from Barrios, that didn't look like a guy who was making the decision in his heart of hearts he wanted to make. It was one that looked like out of job perseverance, quite honestly. Yeah, I did. Um so, again, I, I'm separating the two things that happened this season or the two topics of discussion at the conclusion of the season on field and and not off field necessarily, but like human level stuff, yep. right? Communication. Maybe they're more related. Maybe they are related because, yeah, the, the Blue Jays should have scored a lot more runs than some of the numbers would indicate. Some guys had down years collectively. There's something weird, unquantifiable that, that happened this season. Maybe part of the problem is that there is a lack of communication, a lack of trust, like some 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 clubhouse discord that is fomented mm. by the the idea that there's a lack of communication either from the front office to the manager and or the manager to the players and the players amongst themselves. Maybe that is part of it. Maybe like when the Blue Jays this offseason try to figure out what exactly happened and and maybe not specifically. Hey, why did Vladimir Guerrero Jr. foul off or pop up a bunch of middle-middle fastballs this season? I don't know if you can make that direct correlation, but yeah, I, maybe there is something to a, a sport being so quantifiable mm-hmm. like baseball is and having a number for everything and something that there, there was something unquantifiable about what happened to the Blue Jays this season. And maybe that's what... Mark Shapiro is going to come to the conclusion this offseason as being one of the problems that there was something there's like uh, chemistry is such a difficult thing to put your finger on. Yeah. Right. Like, what are we talking about here? Mm-hmm. But I think we're getting close with this team. If, if there is a blind spot here 
and the communication is an issue, and that's something you can can fix going forward. Maybe maybe the results will present themselves on the field in 2024. Maybe I the way I look at the communication issue is to me, it looks like you have a manager who I would imagine feels a little shackled. Not in not in that he wants to be not that he wants to be doing double steals all the time or anything like that, but he feels there is a way he is expected to manage the game. I suppose you could have said that for all of baseball history, but it feels a lot truer in 2023 than it does now. And if you do not have a person who is emboldened with a plan that either they believe in or they set out or whatever way you want to look at it, how can that person be an impassioned communicator? And if that is the issue, Mm -hmm. communication, it goes back to all the conversations we've been having about what a baseball manager is in 2023 and why is it that Dusty Baker and Snicker and Rob Thompson, like now Rob Thompson, a little different animal, but you understand these guys with more clout in the game, why is it that maybe they're able to do that now? It's also very possible that those are just better offensive teams and that's what plays at this time of year. But I think there's something there to the idea of your the manager is the guy who is supposed to take whatever it is that gets distilled from above. And I don't mean that to be some evil puppeteering strings, but they obviously built a baseball team with a vision for it to play a certain way. They tell that to the manager. It's all part of the process. Manager has to get that to the players. But if the manager feels he is not emboldened to make all the decisions he needs to make or sit a guy down or get in a guy's face, whatever way you want to look at that, how can it not hurt the communication? Well, and if, if in fact, the manager doesn't fully believe in the game plan and whether he's explicit about his lack of belief in that or he's just not as – that 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 lack of belief maybe filters down to the players or maybe the players are not – buying what they're selling and John Schneider's doing a good job of putting on a brave face. Like mm-hmm. if there is an organizational lack of belief because the players are like, why are we doing the, some of the things we're doing? What is, what is actually going on here? Could that, I mean, you hear about it, especially this time of year, yes. right? Like the, the, the diamondbacks, I think it was Evan Longoria after mm-hmm. they completed the sweep of the, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Like belief is incredible. What, what it can do to an organization. If you have it, what you can do this time of year if you believe in what's being built. There's clearly a lack of belief with this this Blue Jays team. How can team. you not see that? And, and maybe that's what we're talking about when it comes to the, the top-down stuff, the lack of belief trickling down to the players. I threw out the idea at one point in time, and this Jays team is really going through it, that they just needed to be in somebody and get in a fight. Man, the more it seems like it, it's like they needed a Ted Lilly in there to, to mix, mix things up. I, I continue to, you know, you talk about the heebie-jeebies and the, you know, this, the unquantifiable stuff in baseball. That stuff matters, man. Would the Cubs have won that game in 2016 regardless without Hayward's speech? Yeah, maybe. Maybe, but Mm -hmm. it's such a thing that gets talked about. And part of that is players taking ownership of it. And if we're going to talk about players getting like taking ownership of things, I think this is all part and parcel of it, right? You have a guy in, you know, George Springer, who's brought in to be your leader. He has at times looked like exactly that guy, but it's hard to lead when you're on the IL at times, you're not performing the way you would like. This is, you know, We've heard it from everyone close to it. This is either they believe it is wholly Vladdy's team or it is supposed to be Vladdy's team. 
How can it be your team when you're having the down years you're supposed to have? So I just think, yes, there needs to be communication, but there has also not been the kind of galvanizing forces. Do I think the Phillies are going on the run they're going on because Rob Thompson is telling them this is exactly our game plan? No. Bryce Harper and Castellanos are just going deep every third at bat, and that's kind of the difference there. And it is about players putting the team on their back. So I think all these things are interconnected. It is truly a, a just a spider web of, of problems right now, it seems like, for the Jays. Yeah, the Phillies have belief, and part of that is because they've already had success, right? <laughs> Boy, does it does, does that foster belief. Yeah, when you, you make a World Series uh, in a previous season as a wildcard team as well, as well, despite the fact that you finished 14 uh, games back of the division winning Atlanta Braves. You knocked off the Braves last year mm-hmm. in the DS. That's belief is a hell of a drug. Boy, is it? Uh, and and the Phillies uh, are very high on belief. Okay, mm-hmm. they're through to another National League Championship yeah. Series. Those pupils are dilated <laughs> with belief <laughs> with a three-one win over the Braves. More home runs for them uh, again in in game four. Nick Castellanos with a pair. And no one even, well, I'm, I'm sure someone died last night, but like not a notable thing. Like, you know, he normally goes yard catastrophe follows. Yeah, he's gone yard a bunch. Four home runs over the last two games for Nick Castellanos. Becoming the first player in Major League history to hit multi- <laughs> home runs in back-to-back postseason do games. You like, do you like him flashing the ring finger? I keep thinking he's flipping people off, and that would be, to me, way First cooler. time I did, but yeah, now it's like, yeah, it's become a thing okay. in Philadelphia. You know what I I did like, and what's not to like? I mean, his 11-year-old kid behind home plate, his dad, you know, comes through in one of the most clutch moments Amazing. that a player's ever going to come through. I, 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 We all think that our kids look up to oh, us. Oh, that's his kid. That they showed on the broadcast. Yeah. I we, didn't know. Yeah. yeah the, I think Liam uh, Castellanos is his name. Um, we all think that we're our kid's hero. Oh, and God. I am. Could I you am, imagine? I'm my kid's hero. Like, he looks up to me. There's, there's just no debate. For now. But, like, imagine the the contrast to, hey, he looks up to me because, like, I can throw a baseball harder than an eight-year-old, right? Yeah. And I can I, I can catch a baseball with my bare hand. He likes that. He whips it that's at me, pretty, and I'm like, Dad throws the, like, down the glove. Yeah. Like, that's... Nick Castellanos <laughs> hit two home runs in a playoff game at home in front of some adoring fans for his 11-year-old son and then pointed to... Like, that's unreal. how do you... What do you, I don't know how you would go on with your life. Like, how do you live in the same household as that person? Like, what happens at breakfast the next day? And and Nick's like, hey, Liam, uh, time to clean up your room. Like, how do you question I, what your dad man, says when he hit two home runs it, to win a, a playoff game in a playoff series? It's so funny you say that because my mind go. I have had this exact thought, but not about athletes. I have had it about, like, kids of broadcasters. Like, you know, it's like the idea, you know, we got one here. The idea of like Ben Shulman getting scolded by the voice of <laughs> Sunday Night Baseball or whatever. Like it is always so jarring to me. Yeah. But yeah, the Castellanos thing, I don't understand it because you're right. It's like my kid, man, we, I was on, I fill in on Kipper and Bourne a couple times last year and I'm on TV. Daddy's on TV. Via YouTube. And it's yeah. like, whoa, <laughs> I could truly tell him to do anything. He's a king. And I was just talking. I yeah. can only imagine what it's like. Yeah, that was awesome. I did not, I honestly, I was just like kind of sound low, was half paying, like yeah. not half paying attention, but wasn't really like engaging with play by play. I had no idea that was his kid. Yeah. 
Uh, Liam hasn't attended a lot of games, apparently. He's been in school, and, and he's just shown up d- during the postseason. Uh, he was going to seats. He's going to school last night. Yeah, learn that. <laughs> yeah. What? Honestly, like, get it? You go to school. Get it. But if you could do that, do that. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty sick. Uh, I wish my dad hit two home runs in a playoff game. Boy. Four over a two-game span. No, you know what? I got to be honest. Me, the type, like, personally, me, the type of person I am, yeah. I already have complete uh, lack of belief in myself at any given time, and that would just be like, well, never going to be my dad. Oh, well, yeah. might as well just go dig a ditch. <laughs> well, that's that. That's, that's it, Liam. Uh, best of luck trying to live up to, to what uh, is in front of you. All right, so the <laughs> Phillies are the most exciting team Remaining in the postseason, they were the most exciting team, I think, going into the postseason. That's part mm-hmm. of the discussion. I think now um, that we, we we have a larger sample of who the Braves are and, and the mentality that surrounds them, I think there's a whole bunch of people that are rooting against the Atlanta Braves who depart this postseason in pretty hilarious fashion. Uh, not just losing to a, a good Phillies team in back-to-back seasons after being one of the best teams in all of Major mm-hmm. League Baseball, not playing a competitive game for like the last two months because they've been so home and cooled out and the, the roster being yep. just filled with superstars and Ronald Acuna Jr. being the first 40-70 player in the history of the game and going to win the the MVP. But we're, we're learning more about the, the Bryce Harper staring down of Orlando Arcia mm-hmm. in, in game three. So... The 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 contention was that after the double play that ended game two and the incredible comeback by the Braves to even up the series, and for the, those who forget, Bryce Harper was on first base representing the game-tying run. Nick Castellanos hit a scorcher to center field, which actually had an expected batting average of 670. Michael Harris made a great catch and then you know, doubled off Bryce Harper at first base. End the games. First time in, I think, playoff history yeah, that a game me, yeah. has, has been ended by a double play started by an outfielder. Um, and apparently after that, in the clubhouse, but after the clubhouse had been open to the media, that it was reported Orlando Arcia, Braves infielder, said, attaboy, Harper. Like, which is like in in the realm of, of things that you can say to disparage another person. The absolute bottom? Yeah, it's pretty low. Uh, but it was not directed at a reporter it was reported upon by right. multiple reporters and jake mintz was uh the guy that had the finger pointed yeah, at him at fox sports but then chelsea janes of yep. the washington post came out and said yeah like i also heard it like i also reported this i don't know why this guy's is uh is getting all the heat for this. i gotta i gotta say uh chelsea jane better than me yeah deciding to run like, in there going I'll put my hand up and eat half of this. I would have been. You would have Ross ho- Atkins it. I would. Oh, that's the new one. I would have Homer Simpson into the bushes. <laughs> no, but yeah, I would have. We're all accountable for this. Mostly him. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this has turned it enough into an opportunity uh, for players around Major League Baseball uh, to to weigh in on how they feel aggrieved mm-hmm. when when reporters one like even enter the the clubhouse seemingly and they two, don't like it report on things that they see, including Blue Jays' own Kevin Gossman, who uh, tweeted out, it's ridiculous us players have to watch what we say in our clubhouse, our clubhouse, uh, capital O-U-R. Some of y'all, man, all I'm saying is that you should not be allowed to quote a player or say you heard something like this in a clubhouse when you, the reporter, are not talking to that player. Um, I disagree. I do as well. Uh, there is, I think there is a, 
there's a gray area here. I'm not saying what Kevin Gosman is saying. I mean, he's wrong in the way he is saying it there. There is not zero merit to what he is getting at. But, I mean, I've been in rooms. I haven't really spent much time in home baseball clubhouses. I've mostly covered roped clubhouses. I've spent time in there, and it's open. But it's also the understanding of, you know, and maybe they don't feel this is fair and tough. The CBA feels otherwise is that, it's much like being a celebrity out getting groceries. It's like you're in public. That's the media right. has come in. If you want to say you're whatever about Bryce Harper and you don't want anybody to see it or hear it, do it before the media. It is not as though last out of the game, doors fly open. There is a cooling off period. Oh, yeah. It takes time for people to come down. The yep. players have to make their way down the tunnel. It is not a media sitting in the clubhouse waiting for the players to come in situation. So I think that's the part of it that I don't know that most people understand just having not been in that world is that the media gets, there is a clubhouse attendant, there is security at the door and they will tell you, okay, you're good to go in now. Half the time you don't even go talk to the players right away. You go into the manager's office first. So there is definitely time that the players have where it's their own. And I can understand how players get sensitive about it. Cause what a, what do they care whether the media need to be in her or not? I can understand why they're sensitive about it. They're just they're wrong. A reporter it, it reports on things. Yes, like not, not to get too like literal. Pedantic. <laughs> the reporter reports on things, and, and part of the, the things they report on are answers to questions that they ask, but also like things that they observe. Like you observe things. How many times have you had a shy type on and said, what's the vibe in the clubhouse right now? Yes. Right. <laughs> and, and even that is a little more different because like that is generally like reporters do do the thing where they get things on background yeah. off the record where they're having conversations that are not things that they bring directly to the forefront, but like inform comments that yes. they make. But yeah, when the clubhouse is open, and you can see with your eyes something happening, like, you know, Mark McGuire having, like, Andrew Steen die on in this locker. You, and you're not digging around in this. If you see it, yes. if you observe it, yes. you're allowed to talk about it. Bingo. Chelsea Janes, uh, he yelled the phrase when cameras and recorders were rolling. I have audio. Had he done it at a slightly different moment, a camera sending an interview live to the truck might have caught it. Would you be eviscerating that way, a network, or would you say... Uh, that shouldn't be said with cameras around. Suggesting you shouldn't report something said in the presence of more than a dozen reporters because it, quote, wasn't meant to get out, unquote, is suggesting reporters shouldn't be protecting players or should be protecting players from themselves. That's not our job. It's theirs. And he said, attaboy, Harper. It wasn't a slur. This is where I, I love it. I, I would add parenthet parenthetically. <laughs> it wasn't hateful. It was trash talk. And the only reason anyone cares that it got out is because they knew uh, they know it would motivate Harper to beat them, which implies the Braves do not feel they can handle a motivated <laughs> Bryce Harper. That, I, I mean, proof is in the pudding. They I, couldn't. I love the idea that just alpha stud Bryce Harper was sitting at 96% motivated, and then that <laughs> RC I had to say the worst, honestly, you know, there's a lot of things you could say to people, but I don't think there's anything worse than boy. The idea that that is what spurned him on. I always laugh at this stuff. The idea of bullet bulletin board material. Sometimes it plays in here. This is ridiculous. That is clearly let's let's call a spade a spade here. This is a Braves team that's sad their loss and they're pointing fingers at Body. anything and anyone 
but themselves. It's it's. Uh, the, this is what I'm talking the about. The Acuna, you know what? Yes, has that, someone, I was going to get to Has next. someone done this yet? Uh, you know how they always Photoshop like yes. the Wilt 100? Yes. I need Acuna to be holding up yes. that tweet. Someone did. Well, oh, no, someone they didn't did do that? the tweet. They did him holding up the iPad and it's okay. a Bryce Harper home okay. run rolling. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, I like that. I like him holding up the tweet because okay. that's the reason that's, they lost. It's true. But yeah, what you're referencing is Ronald Acuna not, not too pleased with the call. He, Going full gym from the he, office. He got in the game and then yeah flipping the ipad around to the broadcast <laughs> as if the broadcast also doesn't have the strike zone in I, real time like I you know we it. know ronald like I we love it yeah we we're we know more than you like we know in the moment whether mm -hmm. it's a ball or a strike what a whiny bunch of oh my just god embarrassing can't say frauds because they won well, a World Series. Really since yeah. two years ago. The guy, the guy is 40, 70. You cannot call them frauds. But Spencer Strider is so good. Uh, and I, I, I know they, they've become a lot of Blue Jays fans' National League team because of the Alex Anthopoulos sure. of it all. But holy cow. And Orlando Arcia also during the game getting into it with Phillies fans, Amazing. which I, I don't That's mind. Great. But like... It's, well, that it's, was going to happen. The idea that it's like, well, because he said something, Phillies fans were all over him. Phillies fans are all over each other. Yeah. It's their natural state of being. It's yeah. what they do. Mm -hmm. so. Reporters report on things they observe. Here's a report. Here's a report I have from from uh, my time in a major league clubhouse. One of the funniest things I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. uh, it was early-ish in his Astros tenure. Jose Altuve had a rough game. Astros lost. He was like over for one for five or whatever it was, and he was seething. Speaking yeah. in Spanish to a, a Spanish reporter while eating a mini like drumstick ice cream cone. It was just the funniest visual I've ever seen of this like diminutive guy, little ice cream cone, <laughs> seething mad, just letting it fly in Spanish. So there's my clubhouse report. You're from, not allowed to so report that. I just did. I've done it many times. Yeah, you there, can't talk about my that. That happened in a clubhouse, Brent. That and, and, and Colby and Lewis chewing my head off are my two favorite clubhouse anecdotes. Yeah, that that's that's. I I mean. Watching Major League Baseball players and managers smoke cigarettes underneath the stands that's of, really of Rogers Center, that's that's, that's really mine. Good. I won't name names, no, but no, no. there's a couple of guys that, yeah. Well, you know what? I will name one yes. name because he's not in Major League Baseball anymore, oh. but like Jim Leland smoking a dart. Like, is there a more like he, he's smoking he's, a dart guy than Jim Leland? He smoked so many cigarettes, he actually like began to resemble one <laughs> late in his managing career. So, yes, love Jim Leland for that. I feel like Cespedes got caught by Cespedes yeah. Family Barbecue. Uh, yeah. This is like Mets tenure Cespedes or something, smoking darts uh, beneath the... Yeah, the so I'll do there. it too. I observe things... <laughs> I observe things that, that, that maybe I, I shouldn't be reporting. I reported it. Uh, uh -oh. Re oh, Josh Reddick, I saw a smoke a cigarette. Whoa! How about that? Yeah. How about that? How about that? How do you like that? Anyways, All right. uh, the Braves are whiny little babies. Uh, and they're headed home now for a second straight year. Now he's going to from the City of Toronto bylaw officers, <laughs> and he's going to come after you. <laughs> I'll have to testify. All right, when we come back, we'll get you set for game number two, Maple Leafs uh, on Hockey Night in Canada welcoming in the Minnesota Wild who won their season opener yesterday. We'll talk about uh, some of the other action around the National Hockey League yesterday's Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sports at 5-9, the fan band, and it's Brent Gunning. Maple Leafs, day off yesterday. Day off today. Before resuming action, 
tomorrow at home on Hockey Night in Canada against the Minnesota Wild to pick up a 2-0 victory over the defending Eastern Conference champion, Florida Panthers, who everybody's predicting is going to take a step backwards today or uh, this season. Um, after like a couple of days, now that you've like, you know, had time, Chilled out. you know, some well, separation, spade spade. Chilled out. Yeah, you, know, you had separation from Wednesday's season mm-hmm. opening. 6-5, incredibly entertaining shootout victory over the Montreal Canadiens, a game, though, in which, yeah, the goaltending didn't look so great and no, the, no, the no. blue line didn't look so great mm. and the penalty kill didn't look so great. Have you have your takes evolved? Like, as you get further away from, from game one and thinking about tomorrow's game two? I wouldn't say they've evolved. It's just more I'm now lending credence to some of the things I just kind of papered over afterwards. I was so focused on the goaltending that I didn't love and the dominant performance from Matthews that I don't think I properly gave Klingberg the due. Yeah. I know a lot of other people did, but uh, yeah. I feel like that was the thing I probably kind of papered over the most. Part of it is that, you know, uh, look, if he's the guy he was in game one and he's able to have a couple of assists every night, there's, there's going to be no such thing as paying him 300 grand too much or whatever. But that was one of the things I was thinking about with them having to move on from Lafferty and the mm. choices they had to make there of was that absolutely necessary. I think that's probably the biggest thing is I'm just seeing if he can kind of replicate that in a game that I think everyone expects to be much different feeling. Not to say that I think, the, I don't know that the Leafs are going to necessarily be the button down defensive team we want them to be but it will not look like the hair on fire game that it it was against Montreal both because the Leafs will be better and Minnesota's not going to come in here playing like Montreal also and it was like hair on fire um on Wednesday mostly because of some horrific turnovers right like some individual like I I don't expect TJ Brody to fall down a lot this year like knock on wood TJ Brody probably also doesn't expect to be the last man back and falling down a bunch this year uh Timothy Lilligren like He's gonna maybe adjust the lie yeah, on his stick and like and know. like I don't know he's pro- he's gonna hopefully for him he doesn't whiff on too many cross ice passes. That's the Sandine, and it I just worry <laughs> it had to infect a young Swedish D. That's my worry. I there. would say the thing that maybe is more sustainable and that I will be on high alert for is the Jake McCabe like ill advised mm. pinch stuff because we yep. saw that in the the postseason. But yeah. Max Domi not getting it out. That's also a thing that uh, feels repeatable. Okay, so that leads to this discussion. What are you most, like, if you're keying on from uh, scrutinizing uh, what could be a building issue for this team or or what could be a building positive Mm -hmm. for this team, like, what is the number one thing that you've got your eye trained on for for tomorrow's second game of the season against the Minnesota Wild? I'm curious to see how much we get the tinkering Sheldon Keefe. That left side feels ripe for it. Yeah. I think Bertuzzi is going to get a nice long run with Matthews and Marner. I and think look that, good in the second and, half of the game. And they do, and they did look good, and I think that makes all the sense in the world. So that's kind of set, but Max Domi doesn't, I mean, not to say that there's another great spot in the lineup for it, but there's no reason that Matthew Nyes can't jump up there. Depending on what type of game you're getting out of Frazier Minton, I think that changes that question as well. So the way Keefe kind of deals with the interchangeability, not that they're interchangeable players, they're completely different in Domi and Nyes. I think that's maybe the biggest thing because if this team is going to be good, if they're going to be great, if they're going to do all the things we expect them to do, The best players, they have to carry the mail. You need to have games like you saw from Matthews and Nylander and Tavares. He's not going to do it every night, but he will have a couple of nights where he puts the team on the back and scores a couple of goals. But they're also going to have to be a team 
with good forward depth. They're not just going to be able to be top six reliant. We've seen it too many times. So they need one of these other guys to pop, be that Domi and Nyes, and then you've got a good left winger you're happy with on the left side, or it's Fraser Minton hitting, something along those lines. That's the thing I'm I'm kind of watching is the interchangeability on the on the left side there. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Um and maybe this is like every single game and 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 a narrative that's not necessarily surprising the the, the goaltending specifically For sure. i mean it depends on who's starting and i i i'd if i had to guess i, I think would say, it'll be sammy i think so too i think samsonov gets a chance to get off the mat especially how disappointed he sounded uh, after that game season opener mm-hmm. uh, on Wednesday and giving up the, the five goals. I think he starts tonight's game. Well, hold, hold on. I just wanted to, on the sounding, tomorrow's game. on the sounding disappointed, you have to be careful because if you read it, he sounds disappointed. Mm-hmm. But if you hear it, He's total goalie. It's already left his brain. Like, oh, that wasn't great. Like, he's not like Jack Campbell. He's like, I'm a, I'm the, the worst goalie on ja- the planet. Jack Campbell be sending himself than, uh... to the Hague after every game that, that he has. No, that's not Sammy. He's the exact opposite. Yeah. It will drive you nuts when he has a game like that. And he's a little, eh. but yeah, I think that is the one thing about Samsonov that I do think yeah, you you kind of like. So, and I, I guess you asked me what I've amended my thinking on. That I've changed my mind on as well. I was I was more leaning towards giving Wall the net just to have it be a true somebody take the ball. Oh. I I am I have come around. That, oh, uh, you that agree I, with me? I do agree with you. I think that Samsonov, not that he has to be. I think Wall is a chance to steal this net, but he is your number one guy. He has the best chance to be the best goalie for this he team. So I, I've come around. Well, I mean, he didn't earn anything on on Wednesday night. Okay, but. one game to yeah. start the regular season again. Career high or career best in in save percentage, goals against Honestly, games played. The one won a playoff series for this team. He hasn't earned it because he had one bad game against the Montreal Canadiens. He has a one year track record. He was a he was a good goaltender at times. Great. I have don't yell at me. I've come around. I'm agreeing with you. He <laughs> okay, can get okay. the net tomorrow night. Okay. The other thing. I'm I'm keying on is the penalty kill because mm. we think about special teams as like the power play despite the fact that they were second in the National but Hockey League in percentage good. <laughs> they were they were good on the power play last year I'll get, I get it like they could be more consistent they could look more dangerous and and we'll see how John Klingberg impacts that unit but penalty kill was 12th in the NHL last season mm-hmm. they went two for four on the penalty kill against the Montreal freaking Canadians. And like a couple of those power play goals were scored very early yes. on in the going. And I get it. Like there's also like some, some tip stuff that, that, okay, maybe we can't also put stop. entirely on the goaltending to stop it. But yeah, that's an area that was a concern a season ago. And, and now you're changing some of the units. You got turnover. You, you, you got no Alex Kerfoot. You got, you got Austin Matthews killing penalties. I, I, I think you got to show me something on the, the four on five. Yeah. Well, just look for me. You know, I think sometimes, sometimes we overrate the, the players that are used on the penalty kill. I think a, a lot of times, largely it is an intelligence and effort thing there, but Look at that blue line. You show me the penalty killers there. Right. Jake McCabe feels like one because yeah. in theory, you can say to him, there's no pension when you're penalty yeah, killing, okay? Right. And yeah. if you t- honestly, if you just yeah. take that out of his game, you lose some of the good, but you don't need it on penalty kill. So, okay, he killed penalties. TJ Brody, he can kill penalties. I don't think people look at him and say, that is your stalwart guy who kills penalties. You know, for all the, all the bad we said about Justin Hall, and it was mostly you guys, not me, for all the bad that got said about Justin Hall last year, 
Guy ate a ton of minutes on the PK for you. Now, you can say, hey, the unit was 12th best in the league. Is that good enough? Okay, fair argument. Well, it was better than when number three, John Klingberg, killing penalties this year. They certainly look a lot better than that. Timothy Lilligren, you hope he takes a stride. You'd love for him to become that guy. He isn't right now. Mark Giordano is 40. That's just his official name. I've been giving people a lot of official names on this Leafs team. 40-year-old Mark Giordano. So, And Morgan Riley, God love him. He is not the guy you want out there killing a penalty. That is not his utility as an NHL defender. So I think that is the problem with the penalty kill. It's just personnel. It's it's person, but it's just personnel on the back end. I think up front, you can talk yourself into a lot of those guys. We've done the Matthews thing and I don't love it, but he's going to be great at it. If when he does it, David camp, the guy can kill penalties, (laughs) Mitch Marner. We know he can be used in that role. They can use Nylander there. Yada, yada, yada. Minton gets a look Mm. up front. I have no concerns about the forwards that kill penalties, but my goodness, you show me the guy on the back end that you feel comfortable doing it. I'd like to see it. Yeah. This is not a guy. No. Uh, the other part of Simone Benoit who can't get in the lineup. Maybe well, that's a guy. Well, we'll see. We'll see if like they have one extra player. He's the guy. Do, do we see uh, Simone Benoit uh, debut game? Oh, because uh, when Connor Timmons comes back, surely he, no, wait, he's not the guy. To kill no, penalties he's not. Um, the, the other part of me amending my takes from mm. the, not amending because I, I don't think I was like overly critical of the Maple Leafs, but there was like, yeah, there is. In talking about Wednesday's game, there was a, hey, incredible debut game for Austin Matthews, who has a history of incredible debut games, and the offense looked great. When we were talking about it yesterday, I saw the number. I heard those numbers from somebody else of his numbers on opening day. It's 12 goals. It's already like the leading or right up there for Leafs. That's what happens when you have a four-goal game and then a hat trick. Like, Mm -hmm. there's seven right there. So that still scored them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Is that they won the hockey game. Which is more than the Oilers can say. And then yesterday, it's more than the Sabres can say, who lost 5-1 to the Rangers. They've locked up their twin towers on, on defense there in, in Owen Power and, and Rasmus Sandin for the better part of Dolly. the next. Uh, yeah, what did I say? Sandin. Oh. Been, man, if the Sabres, uh, we, it would have been Christmas in Toronto if the Sabres <laughs> gave Rasmus Sandin the Darlene deal. Uh, they locked those guys up for the better part of a decade. And you got a, a guy in Tage Thompson who's, you know, an offensive dynamo. And, he, and I'm so curious about him this year. Well, and this is a team that scored a bunch last year. They couldn't keep the puck out of their own net. They only scored once yesterday. But holy cow, like at some point, you, you, you figure the team that's riding the longest playoff drought in the NHL at 12 seasons is going to figure it out. Uh, early indications, not there, though. Giving no. up five against the Rangers, no. only scoring once. Lafreniere scored early for the Rangers, too. Man, that is a, that that is the X-factor player in the Eastern Conference, just FYI. If uh, Alexi Lafreniere remembers he's the first overall pick and decides right. to become that guy, uh, the Rangers probably win in the Cup. Just letting you know how, how that's mm-hmm. going to go. So, uh, in terms of the Sabres, though, uh, Thompson, I think, is a guy who's really interesting. He had a big shooting percentage jump. He grew as a player as well. I'm not saying that, but Mm. I'm not saying he didn't, but Mm. I don't know that he's ripe for his 50 goal year that everyone's penciling him in for. I mean, there's a, there's a case for a a touch of regression there for sure. Not as a player, but just to production wise. Yeah. Maple Leafs picked up two points. It was not in ideal fashion, giving up five goals against the Montreal Canadiens, but two points is again, more than the Sabres uh, can say, and and more than the Oilers can say different uh, expectations for both of those teams. But obviously, like the conversations around those teams, very different than the Maple Leafs. And uh, just as we expected, uh, Lightning, Bruins, and Leafs, perfect to top the Atlantic to start the year. Yeah. Never going to change, is no, it? it? really it, isn't. It's probably not. All right, when we come back, uh, 
it's it's never going to change for the Kansas City Chiefs in that they take the regular season for granted as they should. They use it as a 17-game practice session. Seemed like they were just playing with their food yesterday and, and winning yet another game over the Denver Broncos. We'll get into that. We'll talk to our pal Charles Davis of the NFL on CBS as well next. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.